Welcome to The Lively Show. Let's explore the beauty of being alive. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show, and welcome to 2024. I know we already had an episode air earlier in this new year, but it just feels good to have a little Q&A time with you, a little one-on-one session, if you will. I am so excited to be, as I announced in the end of our interview with Danielle from The Beauty of Life the other day, doing a new thing in 2024. So instead of right now, at the moment, doing a typical online class, which I'm sure will come up at other parts of the new year, I decided to kick off 2024 trying something a little different. Number one of those differences is doing more one on one sessions. This is something that I usually do rather infrequently overall, but in the last few months, actually, people have been coming to me and asking for a specific kind of experience. And so as they were asking for it, I ended up creating a little package to accommodate it. And so far, four people have been doing it. And it's been so fun. It's basically I got requested by people's inner voices coming to me saying, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing four weekly calls with you. So basically four calls over the course of a month, once a week to kind of have an energetic clear out, tune up and recalibration to what might be going on in their lives. So that has been very fun to do. And as you guys know, I usually do many hours sitting in hot seating with people in classes, but doing these in one-on-one sessions for one hour at a time has been really fun actually. So I've created a little package, like I mentioned, bellalively.com slash talk with Bella. If you want to do a four week kind of series like that. Or I also added a single one-hour session. So if that, just a one-off session, feels like a call to your intuition, that's now available as well. And the traditional two-and-a-half-hour sessions are still available on the Talk with Bella page too. So now there's a few other ways to work with me if you're feeling called to doing some work with me one-on-one. Of course, your inner voice will let you know if it feels like a fit. And if you are to do it, I'm excited to work with you. You can just book in there and we will get started sometime soon. Okay. So aside from that, number one thing, number two, and I think a lot of people are going to be excited about number two, number two is doing something called, I'm naking up a name (laughs) called a pod class, a pod class. Instead of a podcast, it is using the podcast, the lively show to teach a class. I've never done something like this. And we're going into 10 years of the show. And I don't even know how many online classes I've taught over those years, but I've never taught a class through the podcast itself. So this is my new experimentation to do a class with you guys through the show for free in your earbuds or wherever you're listening to this on your stereo or in your car or on your walks, this is something you are welcome to join us with. I'm going to take a little bit of an inspiration from one of the classes I did years ago, which I always get compliments and kind words about from those that took the course years ago. It was called Playtime. It's one of our evergreen classes in one of the bundles on our shop page. But that course when I taught it live was a fun kind of workshop and experimentation for the group to do live in the group. And we had little homework assignments, you could say, playing with time and loosening up the mind's focus on time in its old way and going into the intuition's perspective and living through time. So that was really fun. They loved it because it was kind of this experiment that they did 30 days with the group live through the class. And so each week I would give them little assignments and they would reflect and we would hot seat. And so I want to take that kind of class and bring it to a different topic and through the podcast. So we're going to be doing the theme of the friendly unknown the friendly unknown, the friendly unknown. The theme of this one is going to be becoming friends with the unknown. Because one of the things over all of the, I don't even know how many years I've been doing this, 15 years or so, I've been working with people. I can tell you that one of the things the minds, when they hear their inner voice say, you know, wait, listen, trust, flow, allow, be, the mind doesn't like waiting, trusting, flowing, being, and, you know, finds the unknown of when things are going to happen, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen in the future, finds it very scary. And so I was realizing this is something kind of like empowered last year. I realized that minds really get stuck on a victim, victimizer pendulum. So catching those stories in ourselves and releasing ourselves from them was a huge insight last year, and we did the class on that. This time I want to do a class on the uncertainty or the unknown and becoming friendly with it rather than fighting or fearing the unknown. So that is going to be the theme of the class, the episode or the first 
module of the class will air soon. And as it does, I hope you join us for the 30 days and we'll have them coming out weekly, these modules. And I'll give you some content, some instructions, some workshopping, some challenges, if you could say, if you want to take them on board and try them in your own lives throughout that part of the month. So it'll be super fun. And we're also adding as many elements of a class format to this as possible, given it's in a podcast format. We have a lively world, which is our membership platform, and you're welcome to go meet others that are taking this class through the podcast there. So you'll also get some participant interaction, if you will, and get to know other people taking the class and enjoying it as well by going over to alivelyworld.com. And in there, we're gonna have a special section in the totally free, by the way, to join that. So no cost or anything associated with this class or joining a lively world. But once you make your little profile, you'll be able to go in and see the group chat that's going to be occurring for those that want to participate in this class and get to meet other people from around the world that are taking the class and share your experiences, share and meet each other, maybe become friends. That's very, very common in this community over the actual online classes over the years. So many people now are like traveling the world together, are friends from afar, meeting up when they go visit people in different parts of the world. It's super fun. Maybe you'll even find someone in your side of town. Who knows? So feel free to go use the different aspects of the a lively world beyond just the friendly unknown, but that is going to be one of those spaces you'll be able to meet and gather and chat and also submit questions for me. So the hot seating element of this course, we're going to do through all on Bella Lively World at Bella Lively World on Instagram, be asking for any questions for that week if you want me to answer them in the next module. So you'll be able to also have those um, abilities to answer questions if you're on Instagram, or you'll be able to post your questions for me in the A Lively World Friendly Unknown section of the website. Uh, so you have those options. If you want to join us, you can also just listen along or even take the class, obviously, months and months, years later after the class is already run because it's going to be live on the show, living there in perpetuity. So hope you're enjoying it. Hope you'll get something out of it. And as I will share when we get into it, my own life. I have to be careful with what I say I'm going to teach on, I'm realizing, because whenever I say I'm going to teach on something, my soul's like, okay, so now we're going to give you that in a big heaping helping. So I am living a healthy dose of the unknown right now in my life as well. So much more than I even understood as of 4 p.m. yesterday. So my whole life is at the moment in the air in very unexpected ways, even more so than I previously expected. It was already up in the air before, but now with what happened at 4 p.m. yesterday, there's just like 10x to the unknown. So we're going to have to, you know, I'm going to be living it right along with you. That's all I can say. I thought I'd have some fun stories of previous unknowns I've been living in the last few months up to now, but now given the development in my family's life yesterday, there's way more unknown to still happen. That's all I can say. So I'll tell you more about my own little unknowns and uncertainties that I'm becoming friends with rather than fighting tomorrow or whenever I record the show that you'll be listening to very soon. Now let's dive in for today into our questions, the Q and A's. Thank you everyone that submitted these on Instagram at Bella Lively World. I always appreciate it. So let's get going. Okay, let's start with Brownstones of Clinton Hill. She says, pasting this one back in case it flows. Okay, so this one, yeah, thank you Brownstones of Clinton Hill. She submitted this question and I never get to it. I always get to other questions before this one in the Q&A. So I'm glad I finally get to answer her question. Have you ever experienced feeling different emotional ages? I've started seeing myself as not young anymore, emotionally, not physically because I hit a certain milestone age. But at the last few days, I started feeling young inside again, like I did when I was 25 and everything was new and exciting. I'm curious how this fits with life and flow or if you've ever experienced this. Yes, I can definitely say that my own personal experience, I've had experiences like that where my... Um, emotional age definitely has waxed and waned, um, especially given, I guess, like mindsets, limiting beliefs and trauma points and beanbags thereof. So all that kind of stuff that associated with previous younger times in my life. For example, when I was in 2020 and I was in Hawaii, I was going through some, I think it was at that point. Yeah, I would say it was then that I went through this phase where not only did I emotionally feel younger, I actually physically looked 
really young to the point where some guy on the beach asked me where I went to university. And I thought, why is he asking me that question? I was 36 at the time. And I was like, why is he asking me where I went to university? And it took me hours later to realize he thought I had like just graduated university, but it really interesting and in observing it at that point in time, I was going through relationship dating experiences that also had to do with kind of like emotionally young stuff. So I was actually attracting even at that time, uh, a few, I dated a guy for a few weeks that was 26 at that time. So even though I was 36, I was looking younger, more like a 26-year-old and dating a 26-year-old and also emotionally coming from a place of a 26-year-old. So that was an interesting thing. And then as I released um, emotional beanbags and and mindset updates and upgrades, I actually feel like I emotionally matured beyond a younger age. And the funny thing is that felt like a specifically younger time than how I felt when I was younger. So when I was married, I didn't feel as emotionally romantically immature as I felt at 36. So it was interesting. It was kind of this phase of younger energy that hadn't been as updated and integrated yet that came out later in my life of all things rather than earlier in my life or maybe circle back to earlier things to get actually released in and resolved. So that feeling and also kind of that way I looked evolved over the expression and integration of all of that forward and doesn't feel that way anymore and nor do I look exactly that way anymore. So now that said, Brownstones of Clinton Hill, you might not be saying what I just said at all. You might be saying that as I've released a bunch of beanbags, I feel better and younger inside. And that just might be a releasing of old heavy baggage. And so you just might be feeling more vivacious, alive, well-being, playful, joyful, childish, that might be what you're experiencing rather than what I just shared. So I'm just sharing from my experience that I had actually ooh, some work to do that hadn't been integrated from a younger, more immature emotional set point that then came up in a later part of my life that felt young. But you might not be feeling that. You might directly be feeling just, I feel great and young and alive and, and released and not so heavy anymore. And that is fantastic if that's how you're feeling as well. But I just want to share from my direct experience when you mentioned this, that's exactly where my mind goes is back to... To Hawaii and what I observed in myself. And funny enough, even like in my dating progression over the years of being in dating in the last, uh, let's say, eight years after my marriage, I could say even the types of guys I was physically or emotionally or romantically attracted to or mentally attracted to evolved in their, like what the qualities I found attractive naturally evolved also through some of this integration and emotional um processing through those years too. So who and the qualities I look for in a partner are different and more mature than the qualities I was looking for back, let's say when I was 36. So yeah, very interesting to observe the different energetic changes and feelings that we might feel inside of ourselves. Okay, now we have Daycation Graham who said, what do you think about the concepts of ghosts and spirits? Oh yes, of course. I've mentioned this on shows also, so this might be a repeat for those that have listened to other Q&As, but I'll definitely share again uh, because many people might not have heard that other uh, answer before. So yeah, concept of ghosts and spirits makes perfect sense to me personally. Here's how I look at it. And no, I'm not like watching poltergeist or movies on the subject or anything like that. But let me just say, okay, we all know beanbag releasing. That's a big part of our work here. Many of you guys have known and how to do that, right? Or practice it. A lot of you guys are IVFT grads. We're like, yeah, we really, really know how to do that. That. So when it comes to emotional trauma and a body, so let's say a human lives a life or a soul lives through a human life, and then at the end of that life, something really traumatic happens, like they're stabbed in the back, literally physically by somebody that they knew, like a an enemy, or I don't know, I'm just making up a dramatic example, like they're stabbed in the back by their enemy or even like by a family member they never expected, kind of very Roman <laughs> times or something. Okay, so like, let's say something like that, very dramatic, or a mother feels like she lost her child through a traumatic accident and she never recovered, emotionally speaking, from the devastation of that type of thing. Or she like then, and so she never recovered from it, so eventually she like, you know, falls off a bridge and kills herself, okay? So there's a lot of those kind of stories that have happened through different parts of humanity. Now, in those moments of extreme trauma, like they've committed suicide or they've been murdered or killed in a dramatic way, the body has now died, right? The body's dead. But did the emotional beanbag go away with the death of the body? 
Oftentimes, because we can't see the consciousness in the body anymore, we think it it's done. And at certain times, it may not be, get sticky and get stuck. But I think that for me, my perception of ghosts and spirits makes all the sense in the world in the sense that we are not bodies. We're the consciousness in the bodies. And when the body is brutally or traumatically injured or killed at that point of death and the emotions are not released, the consciousness still carrying those emotions may still linger around that experience. But because it's not in a physical form anymore, it's not trapped in time anymore. And so for the eternal non-physical being that was in that body, even though their body died in 1836 because of, you know, she jumped off the bridge, that doesn't mean that the consciousness has moved forward in the way that our little human bodies live through day by day by day and age in a linear way. By the non-physical mindset, you could say the subconscious or the subset of the soul that is still that like this disparate point of view that doesn't have full integration and understanding yet could get stuck. The trauma could still linger and maybe even lingers around the site where that thing happened. But instead of it, we go, wow, they've been doing that for 200 years. This happened in or 300 years ago. This happened so long ago, but they're still not over it yet. Well, maybe they're still not over it yet. And so some people that have a bandwidth of perception that's able to actually experience or or perceive them in some way or another, uh, these ghosts that might be just kind of wandering around. Let's say you got into a giant, a modern version would be a giant traffic accident. And then the body was brutally killed instantaneously, but the consciousness has not gotten over it. So it's kind of like as if it had been living, but it's just wandering around stunned and in shock, literally PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder around the scene of the accident or around the scene of where they jumped off the bridge or around the scene of the house that they used to live in. And so then we all, as we're living, are like, oh my God, this creepy energy is still there, but it's there because it hasn't had wisdom yet. It hasn't gone to the inner voice and clarity. That soul hasn't yet integrated that piece of its consciousness. It's kind of just right now for that period of who knows, decades, years, hundreds of years, whatever it takes until it gets integrated. And then once it is, it moves on and it, and it lets go of the story. This is something that is what's amazing about ghosts or spirits in that sense of things. If we think of like, oh my gosh, someone's haunting a house type of thing is that you're in a body as a soul looking and able to perceive, or maybe some people are able to perceive this other soul's non-physical energy that's lingering around that space. That's pretty magical in a way. Like how wild would that be that you could perceive a non-physical consciousness, which we all still are non-physical consciousness in physical forms, but this one just happened to have lost its physical form because it was brutally killed. Like the body couldn't survive based on whatever trauma it had, but the consciousness still remains stuck in a stunned kind of rehashing state of being. It's just wild to think that you might be able to sense that other non-physical being without their body. But when it comes to past lives, which I've been dealing with like they were my job for the last year in my own soul, makes even more sense because I'm feeling not only into perceived energy pockets of other souls that are in this time-space reality locked into, let's say, a house, like the haunted house type analogy. I'm feeling into stories that happened in a totally different browser tab of my soul in a different time and space and place. It's not even necessarily in the same place that I'm in, but I'm feeling the direct feelings of that ghost of my soul inside of myself and ultimately kind of manifesting some variation of the theme that they experienced in my lifetime also, just so that I can integrate and help that other part or that other ghost, you could say, that's in my soul move forward. So do now then now a really interesting question would be, and I can't answer the question, but then Dacation Graham could ask me, well, your past lives that were haunting those time-space realities that you then integrated, were other people able to notice that ghost of your soul? Maybe. I mean, it's possible. Um, but after I've integrated it, probably those ghosts go away. And I always think about that as far as ghosts and spirits. We don't usually hear ghost stories about like ancient Roman soldiers or like Jesus's buddies. So we usually don't get thousands and thousands of years old. We don't get like cavemen ghosts we haven't really heard about. We usually hear about the stuff in the 1900s, 1800s. So something in a more relative context to a handful of generations before this one. It's very, you know, I haven't heard of any ghost story 
story or any type of poltergeist kind of spirit story that talks about the haunting, that traumatic hasn't resolved itself in that storyline from something that's over 500 years old. It could exist, but like I just haven't heard, oh, there's an Atlantean lifetime that's just, you know, won't let go of Atlantis. You know, those types of stories are they're not as common. So but it leads me to believe that at some relatively speaking, more modern amount of time, like 100, 200, 300 years, these souls eventually do move forward rather than 500 and 1,000 years. That doesn't mean you don't have past lives that are thousands of years old potentially or in thousands of years earlier timeframes that need integration. That very much could be the case. But would someone be able to perceive that energy on the physical plane in 3D in 2023 right now if it was 2,000 years ago that it happened? Maybe not. So anyways, that is my very long diatribe. And I can't validate or invalidate anything I've just shared. This is just my direct experience within my myself, my past lives, my clients' past lives, and you know stuff I hear. I've never sensed into a ghost personally, so I can't speak to other people's energies as ghosts. That's never been a gift that I've been um, interested in even personally perceiving, but also I've been dealing with the past lives of myself and my clients, so that's kind of where my ghost energy <laughs> or focus has been, and I love it because I feel like it's so productive and amazingly helpful when those past lives are integrated. We actually, by the way, on the subject of past lives, have our second round getting certified very soon. So when they are ready, they're going to have a little special package for you guys. If you feel like you've got a past life ghost, so to speak, wandering around your soul and kind of showing up into your life as well, and you want to see if you can integrate it and your intuition feels it's a fit, they'll be able to work with a new past life specialty graduates soon. And there are still already the first round already right now trained, you can go directly over to bellalively.com slash find a facilitator and use the past life specialty training uh, function on the page to find those that have had that specialty training. It's been so fun and amazing and insightful and helpful for all those that have done both rounds so far. And it's fun to hear the stories from, you know, the mind's point of view of me. I don't really watch television or anything nonfiction-y related in that space, sometimes like modern family, but otherwise I'm like, who needs TV and and, and stories when you can listen to all the past lives <laughs> of the clients. So that's what I find my fun, I guess you could say, in, in all of that type of uh, story time. It's, it's past lives. Okay, now we have Tiffany Thomas who says, hello, Tiffany. I hope you had a great New Year's. I hope you're well. I have two questions. One concerns the concepts of Bella Vida and the others about dreams. One thing that has sustained me is the concept of focusing on the now. I've read The Power of Now and interpret it as focusing on what's in front of me, what's happening this moment and appreciating what I have. How does this compare to Bella Vida? Do you think the concept of Bella Vida may create tension with the idea of focusing on the now? Oh, that's such a good question. And I'll get to your second question in a second. So the power of now and being in the now. Yes. Okay. So you have the power of now. Now also when your awareness, when you are in your awareness and you know that your awareness and you know that you're placing your awareness wherever you're choosing, most people, the power of now talks endlessly, Eckhart talks endlessly about, are talking about creating problems or thinking about a fake past or a fake future that are illusions ultimately compared to the now that they're in. And so he's saying, pay attention to the now, pay attention to the now, stop worrying about the future and fighting the unknown or stop going back to a past and regretting the past or stressing about the past and what's already happened, be in the now. Super important to especially not go back to a stressful past or a stressful future because both of those are illusions. And why would you ever want to create an illusionary stressful place to put your consciousness? Ultimately, as you place your consciousness in that stressful state of stressing about the past or the future, you're then gonna have the feelings in your body of stress and then you'll manifest something to match the stress of the, of the body in your now. So obviously that's not a great way to focus your consciousness because you're gonna end up using the law of attraction and gravity to then gravitate things that match the fake stressful past or future into a now real manifestation. So it makes perfect sense, right? There's all the reason in the world to bring yourself back to the now and not make the now a problem, whatever's happening in your physical reality also, right? That's fine. But also recognize that when you go to sleep at night, you're also taking your consciousness and you're not staying in the power. Well, you're still in the now, but you're dreaming. If you remember your dreams, you kind of know that you're doing it more than when you don't remember your dreams, but you're still dreaming in different states of brain you know, throughout the night. So you may or may just not remember the dreams, but your consciousness is, is still in the now while it's dreaming. It's not actually 
nowing the bedroom that you're sleeping in in the dark. It's nowing the dream in your life. Actually, I had a dream last night where I was talking with a, a dog was talking to me and telling me how to adopt it. It was physically speaking English and giving me broken sentences of English to show myself how to adopt this dog. I remember that moment. That was in my now of last night. I wasn't in my bedroom in London being focused on the now. My consciousness was focused in this other reality that we call a dream. And it was with this talking dog. That was what I I dreamed last night. So what I realized in Bella Vita comes in is that while you're waking, you can still use your awareness in the now and direct it to where you choose it to be. So you can be focused in this reality if you choose in the power of this now or choose a different now. Uh, well, it's still the now. It's always the now. But you can choose in the now to place your consciousness, if you want to, into something that is called imagination or something called play or creation or creativity. Eckhart is great, really all valid. But even when he talks about manifesting, he will say to talk about bringing in the feelings and to be focused on those other things. He still does align to Abraham Hicks' work, so to speak, in so many ways. And even Abraham, I love when they, in their first Law of Attraction um, audio. So if you go to Audible, it's a really good one. The Law of Attraction, it's one of my favorite Audible books, is The Law of Attraction by Abraham, obviously, Esther Hicks and, and Abraham speaking. It's all recordings of their early, early recordings of Esther channeling Abraham. And one of the things they talked about a lot in the beginning was the workshop, going to your workshop for a few minutes a day. And I didn't create Bella Vida with any of this in mind, but as I was revisiting the book, um, I don't even know what I was doing a few months ago. I was like, oh yeah, that's like what I've been doing with Bella Vita without really realizing it and as such. Um, but I actually did it differently with a different intention than what they were speaking about. But they said, go to your workshop and in your imagination, go plan and imagine having these different things. But they were kind of still focused on things you'd want to have in this reality and play with the joy of having those things in your non-physical workshop. And that will actually bring those into your physical reality. When I do Bella Vida, I'm actually primarily going there as a beautiful place to exist, as a beautiful now to place my consciousness in and be creative and use my imagination. So I still know I'm in the now and it doesn't negate this now. It just is not limited to the physical 3D world because we are consciousness that is ultimately not limited to this 3D world alone. We can go into a fake future if we want to worry about the future. We can go into a fake past if we want to stress about the past. We can go into our dreams when we go to sleep. We are going consciously, when we go into past lives, it's even wilder because then we're getting insight. We can go into our inner voice in the now. And that's still not the 3D physical reality on earth. It's still all the nows though. So what Bella Vida is, is a positive now that's not just limiting you to this 3D earth. It's kind of, in a way, like the Abraham version of the workshop, but it's not even for me to manifest per se into this reality. That actually evolved over time, but the primary reason to go to Bella Vida is to feel good in the now and to create in the now and to not look at this limiting 3D time-space reality as the only way I can create, the only way I can play, and the only reason I should choose to feel what I want to feel. So that is where I come from. And... It's beautiful. It's just so nice because I can tell you if you go through a lot of stages of realization that you just don't want to be trapped into only this reality when you know there's so much more beyond it as well. So even let's say when Annie Francoeur or Esther Hicks channel the collective or Abraham Hicks, they're in the now, but they're going tuning their consciousness in the now into a different dimension. And they're channeling the frequencies of the collective or of Abraham. And when you're going to your inner voice, you're channeling the eternal frequency of wisdom inside of yourself. And so all of those are wonderful frequencies to tune into. You're doing them all in the now and including the Bella Vita is just a playground to create a set of experiences and feelings that connect to those experiences that you choose. And you don't have to wait for this reality to provide them for the feelings themselves. But it is an incredible, I've realized, way of bringing in manifestations that match that joy that you're choosing to feel rather than, like I said earlier, most people are matching stress about a fake future, fake past, and then manifesting stressful now moments into their 3D reality. By me just going to have joy because I want to have joy in Bella Vida means that my body in this reality, as it's also now, my consciousness is now doing both. It's not, um, by the way, also splitting your consciousness. It's expanding your consciousness. It's expanding to be able to be aware in two places at once. You could 
would say, rather than just one. It's about expansion rather than contraction to do this. It's not negating this reality. It's just saying you're not trapped here only. And you get to play with all of the tools that your consciousness has at its tips, fingertips, <laughs> even though there's no fingers there, um, and play. So that's my perspective on that. Uh, second question, if you have time, I've been uh, having such yearning, vivid dreams. They feel surreal. They completely ruin me for days. I'm working hard on fixing this. What are your thoughts on dreams? Do you feel like they're signals trying to direct in your life? Or do you, how do you feel they're more so the brain offloading information? Well, I think they're, different dreams could have very different potentially. I'm just telling you from my under like my understanding, I can't validate any of this. So this is my perspective only. So let's just reference that this is my perspective only before we go into it. But my perspective of that would be that it's very possible that there are many different frequencies or, or uh, source points for dreams. Okay, source points for dreams. Is the source of the dream coming from, yeah, just the subconscious of the mind trying to work out different potentials in the non-physical reality that it's grappling with in daily life? So there could be the daily life kind of you're stressed at work, so you're kind of then playing out stressful or maybe better scenarios in the non-physical. Are you just kind of taking this reality and just going over and over again in your head in the other reality? That's possible. There's probably many dreams that are connected to like daily life, just integrating into a non-physical um, consciousness playing out potentials. But there also could be some dreams that are having a different source point. For example, could be dreams that have the consciousness actually pulling in scenes from another past life. But that said, if it pulls in the past life scenario into the dream and there's some level of consciousness that helps you retain the information or the energy of the dream when you wake up into this reality, it doesn't mean that like if the other lifetime was in the 1700s or the 1800s or in 700 BC, let's say, like really old, it doesn't mean that your dream might be from 700 BC. Maybe some of them will. Maybe they will literally feel like a totally different time in space. There might be different um, skeletal structures of the people. There might be different costumes or clothing that they're wearing that go back all the way to 700 BC. Who knows? Some people might get those kinds. Others might have past life stories and energy formations. Look at that. Energy formations of a story and a scene that then get modernized by the mind of you in 2023 into a different kind of clothing and a different kind of space or time because your mind wouldn't have any way to reference what it was like 700 BC. So it might just kind of reinterpret a storyline that's maybe more ancient in your soul's history of, of life time experiences and then pull it into a 2023 or something, a more modern context. But it might actually have roots that are past life potentially related, that are unintegrated and unresolved. And so as that other browser tab of your Chrome soul is playing out and kind of crying out for integration and completion, you might be in this time space Chrome tab <laughs> reality in your sleep, kind of feeling into that other energy. And that would probably be a different set of experiences than that regular stress day at work kind of dream. Does that make sense? So I would say there could be, and there might even be more potential ways that dreams form as well than just those two source points I just mentioned. There could be many, many more I've even heard of a crazy story, it's a crazy magical story, where a woman who's very enlightened and aware has a teacher that's also very enlightened and aware. They met in a dream. They literally were dreaming in a sleep and they actually had a commune. They like their souls connected non-physically, their awareness connected non-physically and had a conversation in the non-physical. And then they would remember it and they talked about what happened when they woke up. How wild is that? Now that is two hyper-conscious and aware people that have had that. But that said, I mean, maybe twins are, have had those kinds of experiences too, or souls that are super well-connected. Or maybe you've had conversations. Another source point could be going to the non-physical to connect and commune with a soul of a character that you've known in this lifetime. Maybe you've had people sometimes have dreams of their um, parents or people that have passed away and that they're reconnecting with them through the dream. So that's state is still just consciousness going to a different now time space reality or dimension in still a now moment but doing it with maybe even other entities or beings as well um, to communicate so yeah i don't know different source points basically all of this to say so the super hyper vivid ones that just hit a bit different those might have different source points i'd say than your average like for me with the dog that was talking to me yesterday 
probably not the most important dream that I've ever had. It doesn't probably have tons of a past life energy that needs to be integrated. It might just be a dream that I had and that's it. Just one of more of those daily stuff dreams. But I have had a dream once, I remember vividly speaking of dogs, where my family dog, I don't know if it was Ben Franklin or Mackenzie, my family's Westie, but either way, it was a Westie. It might've been Ben Franklin, which was my dog. Um, ate too much insulation by accident. And he was really, really full, but he was I wasn't sure if he was gonna live or die from eating all the insulation that he ate. And I was broken when I woke up from that dream just in tears and tears and tears. And it's interesting because you guys know I'm so pro-death, if, if you will, or not afraid of death. But seeing my little dog, Franklin, suffering from his belly and watching that he might actually die from discomfort of all of this insulation in his body, that was just so sad when I woke up. And at the same time, that was one of those, you could say more vivid dreams. I would definitely put that more vivid than talking to the talking dog in my dream yesterday. So that vivid dream with Franklin, what I took from that later after I felt so sad and crying in the middle of the night when I woke up from that is... I hadn't yet as a mind integrated that the animals don't die and I don't need to cry for the animals as much as I know I don't need to cry for my own death or anyone else's human death. I hadn't yet brought that sense of awareness, ironically, to animals, which you'd almost think conscious, like linear wise, you'd think, oh, the animals would be easier to, to get over potentially the idea of their death than the humans or yourself. But I actually went backwards. It was for myself easy, then other people easy, and then learning how to understand this from the animals as well and not to suffer when I see my puppy suffering. Like that was the I think a bigger insight. So for me, that was a penny dropping. That was me integrating as I woke up and saw how much emotion was churned up from that dream that I needed to actually up-level my mental understanding to my inner voice's understanding of even a scenario like my dog going through that experience, not just myself or other humans going through that experience. So that felt like a different source point. It felt like something that my soul actually wanted to integrate so that my mind was more in alignment with itself, with the soul point of view. Okay, now we have Trees Can Fly 193. He said, do you have any specific plans for 2024? Ooh, it's 11-11 as I, as I see this being a question at the moment. So that's a nice little sign. I have alignment. Okay, that, yeah, that's the, this is a specific plan. Find the alignment, find the friendly unknown with whatever it's going to be. Really, in a way, the friendly unknown being the class I'm going to teach it's basically how I feel about the year. I'm actually living in the unknown of it all. But one of the things that specifically I do know that I want to do is get my visa sorted. So I'm very excited to say I've been waiting for months and months and months. I'll tell you the whole story and the friendly unknown, but I've been waiting for months. I started the process of the visa in May 30th of 2023. And actually just a few, two days ago, got the approval on the third time I've applied, <laughs> which was applied for in September, I just got the approval to move forward with the next steps for the visa two days ago in 2024. So now that that's happened, I actually have a call in 45 minutes with my lawyer to discuss the next steps for actually getting the visa awarded. So there's a few more steps and travel plans that need to happen, biometrics and applications for the next remaining elements of it. But that is definitely on my awareness and radar as far as specific plans for 2024. That's basically the, and then decorating my flat would be something I'd like to do. I honestly would say that's about it. Like specific plans, decorate my flat, get my visa. I haven't really thought bigger than that or I say bigger, but further than that for this year at all. I'm really trusting more and more in the unknown and being friendly with it and being cool in the now, whether it's in Bella Vida now or in this reality now, just chill and then see what happens from that chill, happy place. Like, let's see. I don't know. So it's actually, yeah, less than ever do I actually imagine needing to conquer anything. Um, I'm When I was younger, I was like, t January was like my favorite part of the year, envisioning and all that kind of stuff. I had tons of things. I used to write future letters to myself that were pages long about all the things I wanted to do in the year. And like a lot of those had to do with like, let's say personal habits, for example. Uh, like let's say in the past, I would like run marathons or work out in certain frequencies and stuff. I've been on autopilot or auto alignment, you could almost say. As far as my eating and my exercise and my movements and my beauty treatments and stuff, I kind of know what I like. I will obviously iterate and find maybe new things as new options come about, but like I don't need to change my personal habits too much because I feel great about 
the personal habits that I have. So um, there's nothing really to change. It's more about just the joyful continuation on a lot of the personal level stuff um, and just trust and, and ultimately leaning more and more into the trust of my soul to create a beautiful, oh, you could say Bella Vita-esque reality here for me without so much mental interference. But the preferences in the mind right now, obviously Visa and decorating the flat. Now we have Olivia Rose. He said, do you ever feel lonely anymore? And if so, how do you work with that feeling? You know what? I definitely have been in the last year that I was single alone 95% of the time. <laughs> and there's definitely weeks where even I didn't see humans or talk to them in person except for like waiters and baristas and stuff for weeks at a time. And that definitely was an isolating experience and kind of lonely at times. But at the same time, a lot of the other 95% of being alone time wasn't actually feeling too alone. So that was how I was feeling for the year. But then I could also say I've been dating someone for the last month and we've basically been together attached at the hip for the entire month. <laughs> so I have not been feeling alone in the recent month because we've been together constantly. So I think there's only been three days I haven't seen him, but otherwise we've been literally, I think more than a few hours apart is all we've ever had. So uh, not feeling so alone anymore. Um, but you know what I love now is having had all of the epic eight years of on and off alone time that I have had is that I'm not afraid to be alone you know, so if this doesn't work out in this relationship now, at some point now or in the future, I'm not afraid to be alone. Like I actually now like being alone. I love the elements that come with being alone. I love how easy it is to manifest and create and choose your life when you're alone. It's just easier one person to deal with rather than two different vibrations and two different people's desires. So like to me, there's a, a friendliness to being alone, like the friendly unknown and the friendly alone. <laughs> that would be another class to talk about, the friendly alone. Um, I feel really friendly to the alone. So I feel like it's a really powerful place to be because when I was younger and dating so desperately to find my partner, I was so afraid to be alone and bored in my life. And now I realize after all the time I did end up being alone, I wasn't that bored. It did happen sometimes, but also I realized there's a lot of gifts to it. And there's a lot of friendly unknown of like, if I was alone again, then maybe at some other point I wouldn't be alone or I'd have friends that I can make more friends. You know, there's just, I'm, I'm friendly with the alone as well as becoming even more and more friendly with the unknown. Um, but right now, not getting a lot of alone time, not upset about it, but also it's a, it's, it's a, it's a transition, I guess, actually. It's actually been a big transition to not be alone all the time. Um, I had this happen too, also, when dating the person before Atlas and Atlas, like getting used to going from being alone all the time to then being in socialization mode often or frequently or most of the time was also a big transition. And I've kind of had a little bit of that in the first few weeks of being with my partner now, because it's like, oh yeah, like there's people and you can't just like choose everything that you want and control every element of your life. Um, not that I'm like control freak or anything. You just get used to, I'm sure anyone that's lived alone for a long time knows, like you're used to how you live on your own and only having to think about those elements that are you because you've gotten used to it. And so adjusting back to like, oh yeah, like we're got two people and two different everything's going on at the same time. It's been something to to just get reacquainted with, if you will. So now we have Emily Gifford who said, Happy New Year. I recently listened to your top 10 favorite books episode and you mentioned meeting Oprah. If you're happy to share, I'd love to hear the story of how or where you met her and what she was like to meet. Thank you. Oh, okay. So I'm sorry about whatever I said as far as like I met Oprah. I hope I didn't say anything directly like I met her and she's my best friend because I certainly have never met her in any direct personal one-on-one -on -one way, but I have definitely had interactions that interact with Oprah. And I'll, I'll share those stories if, in case anyone cares, but I, I'd love to actually talk to her. She doesn't know my name. She's never directly spoken to me, but I did manifest when I was young and I was obsessed with Oprah and wanting to help people the way Oprah did. She's the reason, a huge inspiration for why I do what I do. Back when I was young, I always wanted to help people like her and I just literally feel like a soul sister to her in terms of how she helps people, why she helps people, how she sees the world. I just feel so connected. I ironically, of course, did the pattern so astrology app on Oprah and I, and we are extraordinary buddies. <laughs> we're like very, very aligned um, astrologically. So it makes sense that like we're very similar in our astrology, our makeup. So I always recognize that on the outside, but even on our astrology makeup of our energy, it's very similar. 
But when I was young, I was a jewelry designer and I ended up having a message come in, an email from one of the Oprah show producers that she lost an earring and she had a show coming up that she was producing for and she wanted to get a replacement earring from me. So she wanted me to bring her the replacement earring to Harpo Studios. I was so excited. My mom's, I called my mom and she's like, please do not get hit by a car as you walk to this studio. Don't get hit as you're too, I was so giddy and over the top excited that I got to go to the Harpo Studios because I was living in Chicago, probably in large part subconsciously because Oprah Studio was there in a way like that probably was an element of what made Chicago so special to me in part. So I got to go down to Harpo Studios, brought her the earring, and then I was just in awe and I gave her a necklace for Oprah. Of course, I couldn't go there without giving her something for Oprah. And I gave her my fanciest necklace that I had at the time. It was a Swarovski crystal necklace. And I gave it to her. I said, please give this to Oprah. And she said, she claims, the producer claims, to this day, I'm sure if I asked her, she says, I though don't know, I have no visual proof of this. And I took the class, so I can't say that I saw this. But she swears that Oprah wore the necklace for, of all things, guess where she wore it. And this is when I am 20 three maybe in my life. So young pup, I may be just starting to blog at that time of, of my career, but she ends up wearing it apparently, according to the woman with Eckhart Tolle in the power uh, and the beautiful earth podcast series or not podcast series, but in their audio video series that they did live way back when. So she claims that she wore it. Now I took that class with Eckhart and her and I didn't see her wear the necklace. So I can't say for sure that she did it, but she swears that that's where she wore the necklace. And I, at the time was reading Eckhart because Oprah told me to, (laughs) but I wasn't even having a clue yet how important Eckhart and the power of now would actually play later in my life as a role. But I, looking back on that, feel so much magic to the potential energies of Oprah, Eckhart and I being through this little necklace when I was a baby, young pup connected to one another through that class. So it was a really cool little moment of of time that makes me happy. Then it got better. I ended up getting to go on and do trunk shows, little trunk shows at the Oprah studios for the staff. So the staff would come and I would put all my jewelry out in the green room. And so I did a few of those, I think two or three green room trunk shows. So I put all the jewelry and the the staff would come and buy it. So then I was back in the studio again. She also gave me tickets to the Sex and the City premiere episode of uh, Oprah show. So I got to go see the Oprah show's viewing of the Sex and the City premiere of the first movie. And I was so excited. And they said, wear bright colors. So I wore chocolate brown skirt with with a lime green of all things top. I wore bright colors and they show me in the B-roll footage walking into the theater as one of the audience participants to watch the movie during the episode where Sarah Jessica Parker and everybody was there. So I got to go see the movie and then I got to go to the show and then I did the green room trunk shows, never having personally spoke to Oprah, but all of that happened. And then I remember at the trunk show, I was like, this toilet has had so many famous bottoms on it. <laughs> like I was like, Tom Cruise probably peed in this toilet. Like Mariah Carey peed in this toilet, Nelson Mandela. Like this is just a funny point of, of, of connection that I had to all the guests that were ever on the show is that I also spent time in there. So I've been technically in the B-roll footage of the show. I've been in the green room of the show. And also I manifested at my first Abraham Hicks event, meeting Sherry Salata. So Sherry Salata was Oprah's major producer of her show, the the head producer, I guess the executive. And ironically, Megan Sutherland, who's been our videographer over the years, I always, she knows this because I say this all the time. Megan and Sherry Salata to me have a lot of energy that's similar. And so I always loved working with Megan and I always found it so beautiful and fun that I've always felt like I had my own Sherry Salata, which was, which is a Megan, um, just fun, chatty, bubbly, and really damn good at what they do. And yeah, anyway, so I'm at the Abraham event and I know what Sherry Salata looks like. So I'm that obsessed with Oprah and the show. And she comes up to me and we're all wearing name tags and she's like, oh my God, I was looking for you. And I'm like, wait, Sherry Salata is looking for me. I start crying right in the moment. I'm like, what? You are looking for me? Oh my God, what is this happening? I'm just like crying tears of joy. And it turns out my name tag, obviously at that time said Jessica on it. And she was looking for some person at the event that was named Jessica. That wasn't me, but she was looking for her. But either way, because of this misunderstanding of my name tag situation, I got to tell her how much I loved her work and that I just like was so inspired. And then she asked what I did. I told her I had the podcast and she ended up wanting advice for starting a podcast. So I ended up doing a kind of like 
phone call consult with Sherry Salata to teach her how to do podcasting back then. So anyways, all of this to say, these are all my Oprah show. I've also you know, been to other events at Oprah's studio, but I think this is all my, I'm going through all my things. I think those are it. I've obviously met people that are dear friends with Oprah, like Liz Gilbert through the show or Brene Brown through the show. And I know Sherry Salata years ago, but that's about all of the, the Oprah-ish of my life. So I'm sorry if I ever said anything that's made it seem like I actually personally knew her. I don't, but it would be so fun to interview her for the show. I would really be excited. It would be something I'd spent a lot of time thinking about. What would I talk with her about that would move the ball forward with someone who's been so documented and so interviewed herself in so many places and ways? How could I do justice to that experience? The other person I'd love to have on the show is Eckhart Tolle. So those two that had that necklace connection, those are two of my still two of my very famous top guests I'd love to have on the show. The other one that would be fun, I guess also would be Esther with Abraham. That would be just, you know, obviously apropos given all the airtime I've given to these people in the, in the show over so long. What a fun question. So there we go. Now we have Amy Laughter who said, having trouble connecting to my inner voice lately or maybe trusting it because the guidance feels different than ever before. Any insights on how to navigate that? Yes. Okay, guys, I want you guys to remember this when it comes to inner voice. If I am, I always think about this now in a really fun way, very lighthearted way. Imagine I die. My consciousness is now in the non-physical again saints are, I don't actually know how saints even get made or how they even choose saints. But if I could be a saint, I want to be the saint that's remembered, the, the soul that's remembered for intuition, right? Or inner voice. And I want to be the patron saint of intuition or soul. I just want to be like a hotline that people when they're in their physical form want, you know, I think there's like Christopher has like protection, maybe Michael. I don't know the saints actually that well at all. I just know they're saints and they sometimes have attributes attributed to them. I would love to be the saint of intuition. Makes sense, right? But if I did. This is one of the things I would be broadcasting in my frequency as people channel me or they or they prayed to me, not the prayed like they I'm the God, but just if they came and called on me, you know, if they called on me, I would say this. And I want you guys to remember it because I'm saying it with physical lips right now too. When you get confused from your inner voice, like the what is Amy saying is that guidance feels different than ever before. Okay. It's feeling different. But this is in any situation where you're confused by your inner voice. Please ask 10 more questions. Please ask 10 more questions. Please don't stop when you get confused by something that you hear. Please use 10 more inner voice questions to get 10 more insights into the answers that you didn't understand in the first place. So please keep asking. Now, for example, because Amy says in her situation, she doesn't feel like it It feels different. So then one thing it could be is she might question, is this my mind or my inner voice or some other entity butting in? <laughs> okay, inner voice, was this from my mind or inner voice or something different? Which one gave me this advice? Ask that question as a follow-up question to your inner voice and see what your inner voice says. That's number one if you get confused. Or if you are pretty sure it's your inner voice, that's not the question you have, but you don't like the answer that you get, like it says, quit your job and you don't want to quit your job because you're worried about money, then ask inner voice, what do you want me to do about money? And specifically, what do you want me to do about money, let's say next month when I have to pay rent? You know, also please dial it down to like the actual day-to-day -day nitty gritties that you're actually going to live. Because when your mind just says, how am I going to make money the rest of my life? Of course, new things are going to happen the rest of your life. So asking about like how your retirement in 20 years is going to come in is kind of irrelevant, but about the question of leaving this job now, you know, like that stuff will sort itself out in the long term. So asking super long term questions to a now situation is like, you're going to get vague stuff, like it'll work out, it'll all be well, like it'll give you a bit vagueness. But if you break it down to like, what do you want me to do about how do I, where does the money come from for rent next month? That's a very valid question to ask your inner voice and see what it says on a practicality basis. Or you have tax bill due. Inner voice, where's the money coming from? And it might say, use your savings. And your mind might say, I don't want to use my savings because my savings is savings. So you get to then have the dialogue with your inner voice. Well, okay, if so, inner voice, how much savings do you want me to bring over from the savings into the account if I leave this job now, et cetera? So please just ask lots and lots and lots of questions. 
That's the number one thing I can say that people don't think to do when it comes to their inner voice. And because they don't do it, they don't get any further information, insight, and they usually don't take action on what they heard. But they might have felt more comfortable taking the action if they found out more information from the inner voice. So that is my number one thing to share on that subject. Now we have Crystal who said, I'd love to hear about beanbagging guilt when thriving, when others are suffering, and also codependent emotions. And on a lighter note, because a light would feel nice, I'd also love to hear about things that excite you for 2024. Okay, so as far as beanbagging guilt when thriving and others are also are suffering and also codependent emotions. Okay, so beanbagging codependent emotions, you're gonna just go into them. So as you're feeling the anxiety of feeling like you can't be without this partner or whatever the codependency might be, then feel into the locations of them. A la all the beanbag stuff we've done through Beauty of Life and anything you've ever heard me do or find. Even on our website, we have all those 111 classes that are free in the Lively Library. So feel free to dive in. There's many resources we now have for you to do the beanbagging. Even the inner peace meditations on the website, there's one where it talks about how to do beanbag releasing. So that's the, the classic, you know, do the releasing, get the feeling churned up because of the codependent experience, and then release the emotions that are showing up and then ask your inner voice about the codependent scenarios that you're experiencing and what your inner voice's perspective is on them. It'll be much easier to hear inner voice answers on it once those bean bags are gone on the topic. Because think of your inner voice as a table and you've got the bean bags or these emotions on top of the table. So the clutter on top of the table makes it hard to hear, see, or experience the table underneath it. And as you clear off the junk on the top of the table, the table will be clear and you'll be able to hear and perceive what it wants you to know about any mental limiting beliefs. There also, if it's super hyper intense experiences, there may be a past life connection to it. So you can find out that by asking inner voice, is this a this life only or a past life experience that this codependent feeling is about? Because also any beanbags in general might have to do with a past life that connects to this storyline. And you're feeling it in this reality as well, but it may originate from a deeper pain point in trauma experience. For example, your earlier one about um, beanbagging guilt when thriving and others are suffering. I just did a client session yesterday, so very apropos that I'm recording now. And this client, she has a strong social justice story and rhetoric in this lifetime. She's been an activist for a long time. She's a white female in America, and she has a huge activist streak in her, and she's very passionate about helping others less fortunate than she is. And so she has, we worked on it yesterday, she had tons of guilt and of guilt of safety is what her inner voice called it, around her shoulders. And she has tons of inflammation in her body. Her body has really been suffering from a lot of her emotional patterns, as well as some physical elements that are physical alone. And her voice said a lot of it's the emotional patterns and they had to do with this past life. So we go, okay, inner voice said it's past life. Inner voice, what do we need to know? As she goes in, she ends up realizing the past life was a Native American man. She sees, she saw, I think she saw them in pictures, but she knew what would happen. The the man had saw what she visualized as she went into her inner voice was a woman and a child burning alive. And so that was what the Native American lifetime of her soul witnessed as a man watching his family be burned alive. And it was very fascinating because that lifetime, that man, the Native American man in that lifetime of the soul, then decided to become kind of like a social justice warrior uh, as you would as one would when you see your family burned alive at this like in a fire like how could you even uh, th- what a normal reaction to something that happens you're like this is not okay and of course you want to go and rectify that situation and so the soul has had that energy pattern from that very deep and traumatic experience playing out in other lifetimes including this woman's in America now in 2023 as well the difference, though, is that the woman felt so much guilt because she, in this life, wasn't um, in a minority kind of standing, if you will. And so she felt guilty for her privilege and for her safety and all the things that she had. But when we went in and she saw the past life was so fascinating, she started coughing as she was releasing the energy of the past life. Because we go into the beanbags when we do that of the past life, it starts coughing and coughing and coughing happens with the past lives, but, or with all beanbag releasing, it can happen. But she kept coughing. It was so interesting. And all of a sudden, as she's coughing, we're just like watching her cough. And then, but way more than normal, like that's not very typical response for in our you know, beanbag releasing, she goes, oh my God, it's the fire. It's the smoke from the fire. 
that was in the other lifetime she was coughing out. So obviously she wasn't actually coughing out the real fire that was in that time-space reality, but the energy of the fire smoke trapped in the lungs of the man that her lifetime or her soul experienced was what she was then actually releasing. And she realized that her body had had so much inflammation she's been dealing with for years in her life, so much inflammation and so much stress on the shoulders. And we realized her inner voice said, okay, we got to integrate this past life. And her inner voice, we said, okay, how do we understand this story in a different, wiser way? How does the inner voice see this? And the inner voice of her showed the man lifetime that the souls of the mother and the child were not in the bodies when they were being burned. They were watching on the outside. So they didn't experience the actual physical pain. The bodies had consciousness of those souls in it, but the consciousness that would you could say was the soul personality wasn't actually present in the physical forms as they were being burned. They were watching from afar. They were free. And the inner voice told her, freedom. They have freedom. They're not there anymore. But him still on this warrior mission, as we can understand one would want to be on, he wasn't free. The souls were free because they left their bodies at the time that they were burned. But the lifetime that watched the burning was still not free because it still was trapped in the smoke and the anger and the, and the rage that he was feeling for the experience that happened. And then as we said, okay, we got to move forward with this because the souls had moved forward that were burned, that they weren't suffering. It was just the man that was left suffering in the scene himself. So we're like, okay, we got to help him move forward. And as we helped him move forward, she says, she goes, I see a pipe. And she's like, okay, he's he's switching from the smoke of the fire to the smoke of a pipe. And then eventually as she's integrating that, her inner voice says peace pipe, that the peace pipe is where he's going next in his journey. And he doesn't need to be going out in warrior activist um, anger mode, which was what he was in before. He was going into peace pipe mode and transmuting the fire of the burning of these souls into wisdom was realizing that they were free and they didn't actually suffer the way he thought. Understandably, he thought they suffered because he saw the bodies and probably screaming and crying as the bodies were burned. But as he understood from his own inner voice, which is shared by her, showing that actually the consciousness of the souls didn't suffer and they were free and it was time for him to free himself and actually go to the point of peace instead of being a radicalist. He needed to go into the peace pipe and wisdom side of the things and realized there wasn't the suffering that he previously perceived. That then, as we did all of that, <laughs> updated how she felt in this lifetime also. And so she had a similar aspect of her soul self that in this lifetime had been playing out a similar activist role like the Native American because the feelings of the Native American were still subconsciously planted in the soul energy that was living through her. So now she gets to have the peace pipe in this life and so does the peace pipe exist in the storyline as it's been updated in the now moment of the past life. So anyways, that's a really long story. I'm glad I just shared it. <laughs> this doesn't mean this is going to help Crystal at all with being begging the guilt when thriving and others are suffering. But it would say that maybe there's a past life potentially that connects to that. Or also ask your inner voice. Um, inner voice, do you want me to feel guilt? Should I feel guilty about thriving when others are suffering? That kind of stuff. Ask a bunch of questions and also beanbag the guilt because there's nothing you're ever going to help anyone with when you have the frequency of guilt. Guilt is at the frequency of not having a solution. So you don't need that. The guilt is not doing anyone any good. It's only making your body feel worse physically, emotionally, and it's still blocking the spiritual clarity. So please know there's nothing that's serving anyone by feeling guilty, but there is wisdom and insight, just like the inner voice of the Native American for this client showed her and the Native American lifetime at the same time, that they didn't need to stay activist warriors. They needed to switch to peace. And part of it for this client that I worked with was also stepping out of this whole idea that she needed to go out there in this lifetime social justicing and her inner voice was saying, now you're going to go into a state of realization yourself, which is helping consciousness of humanity move forward to stay stuck in the pack of activists that she was previously um, used to being and hanging around with and staying at that point of perception was actually limiting consciousness of humanity to move forward in the best and highest way that she might ultimately be able to provide. So being of the highest and best service to others was actually to be the highest and best service to herself and her soul to move forward into the state of clarity and awareness rather than um, picketing and chanting and 
protesting and stuff in circles with others that are still at the point of pain to go forward into the true clarity, just like the Native American lifetime is, to also do the same in herself and to have realization would be a far grander experience to have for her soul and also and doing so have in behalf of humanity rather than staying back in the pack with the people that haven't had that sense of wisdom yet. And it's okay for everyone that's still having that sense of wisdom. Eventually in a future time space reality in this lifetime or another lifetime, they're going to end up integrating this as well. So it's not about her having to feel like she has to carry everyone with her, but just go on for herself. And ultimately that helps the rest of us as well. So there you have it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was so fun to be able to dive back in with you. I'm so excited for the podcast coming up, The Friendly Unknown, first modules dropping soon. Stay tuned. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. <laughs>